At Utility Muffin Labs, we are dedicated to accommodating our consumer clients with uncontrived, austere, generalized, and adequate snack-based comestible muffin provisions for your cafeteria or common staff member gathering areas. We refrain from overt decorative adornment that can foment jobholder chaos and sedition. A saccharine workforce is a productive workforce. Procure your necessary muffin repository by visiting us at utilitymuffinlabs.com, on Facebook at Utility Muffin Labs, on Twitter at 25 Years of VTM, or Utility Muffins, all one word. On Instagram at Utility Muffin Labs, one word. Support the labs on Patreon at patreon.com slash 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade. And finally, adorn your human form with our t-shirts at tpublic.com slash users slash Utility Muffin Labs. Utility Muffin Labs, think homogenous. This is 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome to the December 1st episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. I am Nathan. And I am Bob. And today we are going to be reviewing the very first in the revised edition clan books. And we get to start out strong and powerful with Clan Book Ventru. It's pretty good. It's a pretty good book. It's an amazing book. It's, uh, it shows the revised, um, basically what we talked about up to this point, everything we said about someone was going to catch on, that this needs to be better, more defined, um, right. made more. I, I said this before, logical absurdity. The ability to take something that's not real, but it can follow a logical line of thought. Right. That's what Revised does. I mean, it basically took like the concepts of what were there in the first and second editions of the clan. The When we reviewed the first Venture Clan book, we were both a little like stunned at one, how long it had been since we'd read that and how kind of ludicrous it was. But I mean, the foundations were there. Right, the historical references were there. The clan itself is the same. And to be fair, and I've been tr- I've been saying in a sense we even mentioned it when you were in it and it was new, you didn't know. Right. This is literally hindsight podcasting, yes. is what this is. Exactly. That business White Wolf at that time, they couldn't miss with what they released book wise. It was gonna sell, and those clan books are a product of that. But you can see where their ideals, their ideas for those clans were not formulated out. They didn't really. The vision wasn't there. They were just creating content to keep people in the loop while they were trying to think of a whole world view of their their product. And revision, I'm positive if they could, they would go back in time and erase that first ed and the the revision books would have been the first launch. Right, right. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a very difficult process, I think, to take the foundations and go, well, forget all that stuff. (laughs) <laughs> you know, here's right. here's this stuff. And it's kind of like um I, I've looked at the revised clan books. Like those are those are my favorite in the line. I think revised is like the classic sort of concepts of what we've come to understand as this game. And it does seem like there was a much more organized like overview of what we wanted to do. And I think that part of that was working towards that Gehenna plot, right? Yes. You know, I I think it's very much like in the same way that you would write a television show. We know that at the end of it, we want to get here. And now we need to make all of this stuff make sense to get to that point. And if if you're with me on this, like the seed, the thought of Gehenna was there as to any company, 
you're going to be thinking ahead. You're always thinking ahead. Right, of course. We're doing this now, but this entertainment pop isn't going to last forever. We got to keep producing. Right. And so they put it in the, in the, in the, <coughs> what am I thinking of? Behind the curtain. Right. We may never need to use it. And then lo and behold, Idea of Requiem was coming out, was a better, more impassioned version of how they saw the world of darkness. And then it's like, cool, Gehenna now. Right. Of course, of course, that's all speculation. We weren't in the right. room with them, but that's just how we've interpreted it based on what we've read and where we saw it go. Um, having said that, though, there are going to be some major and important key differences from the first Venture Clan book to this Venture Clan book. Quite a few. I even uh, took notes. Right. And I think I think we're going to let you get into that because, you know, you have notes. You want to be concise. But I, I think that right off the bat, you're going to notice that there's a little detail of uh, weird kind of like what I would use the term wonky that was just plucked and tossed out. It's not referenced at all. And that's good. Um, I think historically it's going to follow like the same general path, right? Well, I mean, you have the, you have the idea, right? I mean, whoever, I mean, whoever the, the writers and uh, the developer, uh, Achille, who came up with this book and, you know, said, this is what we're going to do. They had to have thought the same thing we did, you know, cause it's logic, it's logic. Mm -hmm. You read that first said book, the secret, what, what were the secret man? Okay. You're talking about other, but you don't define it. You don't give right. anybody anything to go with that are been true and then even the history was kind of sort of chaos right and not the way even fans interpreted what the ventru were right? right they were holding on very loosely to the idea of what it was to be ventru and every individual individual group especially in the larp community came up with what ventru was right absolutely and then revised i feel they were like now here's the structure uh, i yeah i definitely remember i don't want to derail too far but i definitely remember after <clears throat> revised came out, you know, I wasn't an early adapter. I was just like, yeah, I've played this. I've read the clan books. I know stuff. And I was like, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll make a venture. And then, you know, I walk into a game and this is after revised, after these books came out and they're like, you know, what's your dignitas? And I'm like, Oh, what, what? I don't even know. And it was suddenly like I was back down to ground zero right? because I didn't know shit about the clan because there was all of this stuff that had been ironed out and this clan was made to be more than just like we are the ventru and we have money and you will obey us like there was an actual like tradition to this clan there was an actual like hierarchy to this clan and that wasn't present in any of the second ed material right so it was like taking a clan that i knew but like defining it in a way that i had no idea about and I was like, I better go home and do my homework. I can't play a venture because I don't know shit about this clan. And all these people here do. <laughs> and, and what's funny about that, 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 that shared realization, mm -hmm. is that if those venture players would have thought about it, to play that venture is, if you played a venture and didn't know, mm -hmm. uh, they were obligated right. to show you how, how it was to be. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we'll get into that in here, but I mean, that's the Sakor. Right. You didn't ask for it, but you did right. by showing you didn't know. And the very politeness of venture society and culture means they bring you in. Yeah. Your dignitas was next to nothing. But politeness is always lost on LARP. Now you have that. Now you <laughs> right. have it at its crux. Right. That's another ball of wax. But um, we, shall we start? Should we get into it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, generally speaking, we start with, as anything, Kane. Now, we're not going to go over every minuscule detail of the venture because we did that first podcast. And for the most of it, remember, this is just refining what was in that book, yeah. making it make sense. Now, in the first draft of the clan book, you heard that Kane and Venture had a very close relationship. 
you know, and he kind of went into detail about it and lofty ideals and what he was asked of him to do it. Mm-hmm. This one in Revise, it more or less makes the duty. Kane orders Enosh to embrace Ventru specifically. Right. A, a bunch of others, but uh, definitely. Name deleted, insert Ventru here. Right, right. <laughs> and just said, that dude, make him. Right. And I want him as my advisor. I don't care what you do with the rest. And, and that was that. And so, you know, that was, it was interesting because that take is very much not. Let's go back a step farther. Mm-hmm. They openly admit, and this is awesome. It's a very venture thing to do, that all their history is circumspect. Basically, it's word of mouth and utterly bullshit. Right. They don't when know. You, when you get down to it, they have no real fucking clue as to what happened, but they do. Because collectively, every elder, Methuselah, ancient, what have you, they all agree to the same history. They don't deviate. And in this, they create their own truth as to what happened. Undoubtedly, it's from fragments of what probably is the truth that that hold water and they can come to their own. This is about their origin, though. And that's what they can't agree on. But then basically, or that's what they all agree on to this modem. Kane ordered the Embrace Adventure, which begot the rest of the clan. And there's some other interesting things within that. Like, they bring up the fact that uh, after ordering the third generation Embrace and Enosh made the first of them, uh, the flood comes, right? But before the flood arrives, as the first drop said, Cain charged Venture to lead the kindred as he was leaving. And as he was leaving, Cain saw that the six second gen uh, were kind of governing, wanting to get the power that Cain had over the city. Mm-hmm. And so he told Venture to get the other clans to band together and get them to kill the second gen. <laughs> Which is totally different than every other story we've heard. Every other story, every other clan book was like, no. Right. Right, there was a rebellion and a great talk, not an organized plan. Right, but to the venture, what makes more sense? How do how would random canines just suddenly decide that the second gen had to go? Like great story, but there would have to be a plan of attack, or you'd be torn apart by even one of them. Right. So how would you do this? Well, a collective of sorts had to go around, and of course, it was venture who had the plans to organize to get it done because he was charged by Kane to do it. Well, and beyond that, creating that that. Uh you know, possible fallacy or myth within the clan, it makes them look like in an allegorical sense that they were chosen to put down those that would challenge the true ruler. Right. You know, so it very much makes them look like you talk about rebellions that the first, the progenitors, the 13 were somehow rebels and you know, they were, they were terrible children. No, it's the second generation that were terrible and Cain, empowered us to put them down for the greater for the betterment of all transitioning of blame right as one might say right goes goes a step further because venture then has to verify why he was chosen to lead right mm-hmm. like great you led the third generation really any of them could have done it but you happen to be the one charged by kane okay cool no big deal right well kane's gone now does venture have what it takes to rule and it describes for a time you know because it's after the flood now weaker canines get destroyed cities now re there gets rebuilt Venture sits at the helm, and he watches everybody rip each other apart. Right. That's what they're doing. They're fighting. They're at each other's throats, blah, blah, blah. And Venture decides enough's enough. And he says, you need a firm hand. And he steps up, and he starts princing. He starts killing people who step out of line. He doesn't use the term prince, but he's ruling, right? And uh, one of the big things is (laughs) he banishes Set and Maquette and killed many others to establish order and force peace that he could rule. So this is to say that there might have been a peace and agreement amongst the clans that was working. It just wasn't working for Ventru. Right. 
And so he had a way to, to basically make it happen. And that's exactly what he did. Now, we all know that. It says by his will. We know Dominate was a part of it. You know, presence to aid, whatever. They're very big in, historically speaking, amongst the Ventru, in that your power is all about the disciplines you can wield. Because at the end of the day, that is what makes a canine mighty. Why ignore it? That's, right. that's what's there. Um, but then they also established that Lasombra and Zemis plotted against Ventru. Immediately. Even back in the day, those two sided together to immediately go after him. And I was, and when I read that, I was like, huh. They even cite in the book, which the proof of this is the fact that Lasombra and, and uh, Zemis are in the Sabbat trying to kill the Ventru right. this very night. It, it, it definitely sets, if you, if you take a look at the clan historically... When someone new is embraced and they're indoctrinated into that Ventru mindset and way of, of, of existing, when those tales are told to neonates, it justifies centuries-long blood feuds. It says, look, they've been terrible, the, the Shamase, the La Sombra, they've been terrible since the dawn of time. There's no reasoning with them. There's no rationalizing with them. They are our enemies. They are terrible. And they're hammering home because in there, in the clan, they call Lasombra. Apparently, Kane refers to as the Dark One. Mm-hmm. Like he was dark since the beginning. He right. Was, he was always the one not right. And then the occultist was always a me. So it's natural the occultist and the Dark One team up. Right. I mean, that's like peanut butter and jelly makes a good sandwich. I mean, there's no. That's the traditional sense of it, right? Right. Then they get metaphorical. And what I like about this is they say Nosferatu and Set cut out Erical's heart and ate it back in the day. Because we know that would be death. Right. But they contradict themselves later on in the history, but they don't contradict themselves if you look at it metaphorically. Right. What was Nosferatu's crime? He was the most arrogant and beautiful of all the children. Right. right? What was Set? Forever jealous of the power of everyone else. So jealousy, and then you have someone to be jealous of, team up because Erical was beloved as it was said, right? It was right. naturally beautiful, artistic, and just a beam of light, right? Of course she was. Right, of course, yes. And, and that's what <laughs> it is. And so they say they, they cut her heart and eat it. Now, why I find that interesting, later on, and we'll get to that, you, that name is mentioned again. But they don't make any distinction of who it is because later on when they mention they call Erical the bullfighter. Right. Or the bull dancer, right. excuse me, not the fighter. And the thing that you're going to learn that, and we've talked about this ad nauseum, these stories... There is no concrete truth to any of this, right? This is thousands and thousands of years of interpretation. And you can you can look high and low, right, on, yep. on the internet, and everyone has their opinion about this is what actually happened. The truth of the matter is it doesn't it's not something that you need proof for. Every clan has their own perspective, and no one sat down with Cain and the Antediluvians to quiz them on what the actual truth of the matter is. Every entity, every clan, every line of blood has its own perspective and their own truth. We don't know. And and now, with so many different cooks in the pot, so many different spoons stirring it, so many different ingredients, it doesn't even matter. Right. But it matters to the perspective of the clan individually because that look, that outlook, what they acknowledge, what they deny, what they adamantly say happened, peppers them all throughout the line. And every one of these, just like in the, the first versions of the clan books, they're all going to have their perspective. So, And it makes sense. I mean, they, I mean, they kind of have to. Right. Because none of them are there. Or at least none of them a, who were right. are talking. No. And that's the, and that's the point. 
because it's an it's a way of control, is it not? It's it is. A, it's a form of propaganda. It is. And, it, and, and holds. And like I said in the beginning, the whole clan agrees to this history. Right. Like, they even all know, like, if you were well enough to be buddies or even other ventures, they'll go, in no way did this possibly occur. But it did because we said it so. So it is. Right. And that's that. And it's very much them. And then even then, on a, on a fun fact, it's they even go on to mention that there's a, there's a powerful entity that rears his head in times of clan crisis. And he comes in and he kind of pulls apart, you know, helps right the ship and then redirects them towards a common foe. And this is referring because we're still back in the day when Ventru clanmates weren't getting along. Don't think because right. we mentioned Ventru the Antediluvian that his getter just happy, pleased as punch. No. People, you have a clan of people who demand to rule. Right. We all <laughs> right. can't rule. It's like civil hatred. Exactly. It, it's, it's we're confined within this clan, but our our collective respect demands that to each other's faces we get along. We acknowledge that we are clanmates, but once those doors are closed. Go fuck yourself. Right. And and why and why that is there is that's internal Ventru right. commentary that all Ventru know that yes, there's a guy that comes in, he can claim he's Ventru because he's sure is fucking powerful enough to be. And he through immense minions, pull influence, what have you, corrects the crisis. But also when someone mentions like the Bruja favorite, ah, our founder cut off your founder's head and when he left the second city to go looking for Kane, dealt with that bitch, and eventually like, mm, of course you did. Right. Why the fuck would we tell you somebody steps in, calling themselves ventures, helping us out? Right, and and that's that's the interesting thing too is that there isn't really even there isn't a mutual acknowledgement of what has even happened to the founder of the clan. Right, is he alive? Is he dead? Is he asleep? Mm, we don't I have know. a between the lines history right. for it based on what their collective said. Right, if Kane left, knew he had to leave, and it was before the flood. And then Ventru spent no small effort after everyone was trying to rebel and kill each other while he's trying to hold them, hold them together. If he left to go find him, and they all agree he did, why the fuck would he come back if he found Kane? Right, right. Because if he was Kane's attendant, like his buddy, his pal, and he goes to Kane and he's like, "Man, these people are doing this," and Kane's gonna be like, "Well, why the fuck do you think I left?" And Ventru's gonna be like, "Well, why the fuck would I go back?" Uh, don't pull up the same stone table I made. Right, right, let's, exactly. Uh, let's learn existence here. I mean, and, it makes and, sense. And I think too that it's interesting, and and this will reveal. I th I feel like the Ventru Clan is the really the best uh, because it's the first. It's the best indicator of the propaganda of the two sects, the two major sects, because the Camarilla doesn't acknowledge. It, it's, it's allegorical. We don't acknowledge that there is an Antediluvian. Uh, that Cain is a myth. It's, it's not important. Why? Because the Sabbat so like fervently holds to that belief that they're going to rise. They're going to kill us all. We need to be the army of Cain. The Camarilla says, fish posh. That's nonsense. Fuck off kids. You, you, you know nothing, <laughs> but every single clan has its own creation story. That's tied directly to that concept. Right. It's like, when we're in the hallowed halls of the Camarilla, when we're all enjoying each other's presence on Elysium and plotting and planning, those things aren't real. But like behind closed doors, all right, yeah, maybe they are. But this gets revealed too why that lies there. Mm -hmm. I mean, this gets ahead of ourselves, but we know for a fact that's owed uh, to Hardestat. Right. That's his grand propaganda that does that because the Ventru now are not the Ventru we know in modern nights. Right. That we're talking about at least to this point. 
And uh, for instance, Second City falls apart. Everyone spreads out, right? Right. And we said the children want to lead, and they do. And they all go to known civilization. Well, at this point, we're talking it's just the start of Greece. Right. Right. And to get this, it says uh, a guy named uh, Midon, or Midon, uh, ventures very chilled, uh, settles on this coastal area, and he sets himself up as a god king. Well, the mortals band together, stake him out in the sun, and burn his temple. <laughs> so Probably didn't go about it the right way. <laughs> so, But the other venture note this, because they're still keeping in touch. I mean, right. they're a clan that established a form of getting along to get along, right? but also one up in one another at this point by, by the deeds they've done. And so you got to figure they all looked at that and went, hmm, well, we better stay out of the mortal's way. Right, because what was the thing that, that you know, he, the one key thing there that, that will lead us through the entire clan book is he went, I'm a god, worship me, right? Yep. And they were like, <laughs> no. Well, well, funny enough, like you can imagine, it, not at first. Right. Right, they had to be terrified and fearful oh, yeah, and everything Yeah, absolutely. Else. But when they noticed, wait a second, we're the, we're the people who will become the Greeks very shortly in time. Why are you not going out in the sun? Mm-hmm. And why do you sit in a darkened chamber? And why do I have to keep a torch away from you? All right. Where right, so these are, these, are, these are weaknesses that you possess. Exactly. So if, if you have a weakness we can exploit, how powerful of a god are you? Perfect, right? And that's, and that's where, and that's the, it's the mortal mind. Right. And during the day, the day makes heroes of everyone. You know, anyone's willing to do anything as long as they can see and whatever and all that fun. Fun stuff, not just sight, but you get what I mean. The light is better than the dark. Right. And uh, they band together and deal with it. And uh, this rings home to the clan. So they let the Greeks be Greeks, right, for a time. And then uh, this concept of Sparta comes about. So everyone knows the history of Sparta, or if you don't, look it up. We're not going to make this a big thing about that. But, but You could probably just do it. I didn't watch 300. That should be plenty of information for you. There's a lot that goes into that. But uh, <laughs> the kidding. more important is the formation of the, of the Spartans comes from the, uh, was it a Greek philosopher by the name of Lycurgus. Uh, Lycurgus does a series of reforms historically that make the way... A, basically, it's what made the difference between a farmer and a Spartan right? from what you would do. And this way of life is assisted by a venture elder now known only as Artemis. She was not known as Artemis at that point. Mm-hmm. But Artemis sat back and said, wait a second, this philosopher is a great idea. He's going to take a group of mortals and f- have them work on only and solely war to be great. Because what's the one power that's taking over civilization now? Mm-hmm. Having right. the army to do it. So that's what they do. And she goes, but wait a second. I am not going to make the mistake of Madan. I'm not a god king, nothing like that. She's like, I'm just going to sit to the wayside. I'll have a chat with this philosopher, hear him out, and I will urge him to do well. And by urge, it's a canine benefactor. It's a patron. Well, with that backing, he goes and convinces uh, the rest of the polis, because it was only four uh, at that time, uh, big families, uh, that pulled together at the polis to make what, what will later on be the Spartans. Right. And when those communities band together, that's what made them stronger than Messenia as a whole. So when they band together and get it and they become Sparta, that's still what the mortals did, right? But with that venture there, just kind of guiding them, they set her up as a goddess. You know, the Kurt's like, oh, Artemis gave me the wisdom to do this, that, and that's where that comes in. I thought that was very cool of, uh, of the writers to do that because that follows right with history, just mm-hmm. as they were in the wings. Right. But as we know, Sparta becomes a badass powerhouse. But it teaches a very important lesson, right? It's that it's uh, do not rule mortals, influence them. Straight up. Right. They're capable of doing great things. They just need the right guidance. And if you guide them, that is a power unto itself. 
Right. And that's something that we, you know, we experienced pretty thoroughly, although I don't know if it was as well ironed out, but that's, that's something that you, you find in the second edition clan books The that, you know, the Ventru, why do they influence? Well, right. you know, they tell the tales there, but here they get a little bit more detail. They, 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 they hope that you understand exactly what is trying to be said that the, the Ventru rule they don't rule through like overt oppression. And I think that's a, a thing that a lot of players miss. Why do we rule through influence? Well, one, because they're, you know, they're not going to knock your door down and drag you into the sunlight during the day. And right. I think that's probably the most important part. Like that's how you play the long game. And, and you touch on the, the second lesson they're teaching because this book, the revised is teaching you how to be a venture right. through their history right. and where it comes from. Uh, the second guy is in Corinth, right? So we know Corinth would be the mercantile area of Greece back in the day at that time of Sparta. And Corinth was the second great city-state that they, they end up making. And they're known for their merchant vessels, their fleets. You know, trade is what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. And this guy comes along, Avarcus, and uh, those are his merchant ships. That's his idea that he gave the mortals. And that's, that's at least that's what he says, because he realized money is what can influence them without you having to do a thing. Because Avarkas set himself up as this guy who has the most money, who's right. leading the merchants, and but the people gave him wide berth and respect, and even the right to rule them if needed because of it, but he was not their ruler. See what I'm saying? Right. Because he learned that his money motivates them and ensures their loyalty. Now, here's where we start realizing, though, one fact, and it leads right into where conflict's going to happen. We know Athens is in the picture, but what is Athens? Athens is a place of ideas just sparking and moving history along where everyone has an opinion everyone has a say the arts are expressed they're utilized everything in athens is but sparta can't stand athens because athens can't make up its mind on any fucking thing because <laughs> there's so many people going showing up to their polis there they're right. where they gather to be like like basically i'm paraphrasing but in history you learn and maybe everybody can comment on this there was at one time a ridiculous amount of votes and by ridiculous we're talking 300 people had a say and what was going on. And they would nominate of those 300 a guy to represent 20 here and 20 there. But that's still a bunch of dudes trying to agree on one law. Right. To govern everybody. Ridiculous. And Sparta was like, yeah, we're good. We, we have it going on. <laughs> right. We have our system. Because they went and conquered, right? And in conquering, everyone learned that to be a part of the Peloponnesian League that the Spartans created, and this is to Artemis's credit, she's a vast swath of an army just waiting to do something. But they know not to go farther than what they can control. That's right. important. Corinth teamed up with them, learned, well, as long as we're in league with the Spartans, we don't have anything to worry about because we'll have the money to give them the goods they lack, and in return, they'll defend us. When they turned to Athens, Athens was like, kiss our ass. We have an <laughs> army, we have a say, a way of life, and, whatever. Right. and more importantly, we have a bruja brood that's sitting here to make sure that we don't collectively get along. And they're highlighting it, but it makes sense if you think about it. The Bruja sitting there, part of the ideals, and everyone has a say, and yet we're unified. Freedom and rebellion. Exactly. Right. We're, we're free and we're allied, but hey, you know, we're, we don't get along maybe 100%, but we're all here in it. But the moment they get char challenged, they all unite together. That, that's the strength of Athens and why it was looked at as the great. Right? Right. They fight off the Persians together, they do all this, and Greece as a whole does the whole Persian War. Watch 300 and get that. But what they're saying is Sparta and Corinth, right? Uh, if Arcus and Artemis were like, we got to get those Bruja gone. They're fucking up what we have. And that's that's got to go. Right. When they go to approach them, though, they realize they can't just storm the gates. Sparta has its walls, has its defenses. 
But what naturally happens? They're on the backs. Remember I said this a long time ago, mortals often lead what kindred follow. And so the mortals felt the same way that their canine progenitors did even before then because they're a part of the culture. Right. If you're a kindred, you're a part of the culture that you're ruling whether you realize right. it or not. You're you're influencing that culture, but you're not you're not creating it. And but, that's that's I think the tragedy of the vampire. The vampires don't really create shit. They influence what's already being created. They influence, you know, they're like water to the plant or sunlight to it, but right. they're not they're not digging up the dirt and putting the seed in there. There's a there's a phrase I enjoy. It's will of the prince is will of the city. It very much ties to this. It means that the ruler is one with the area he rules. Right. Because that's how he rules. Right, exactly. And that's how they prosper, and this is seen. Now, this war is over and done in, in the terms of immortality because Athens gets a plague. A uh, Spartan uh, general, not Artemis, but a Spartan general, uh, realizes how he can storm the gates and get in. They get in and topple Athens, and history t- history falls suit. But what was cool is they mentioned when they toppled it, these two venture, Evarchus mm-hmm. and Artemis, led the charge. They were in there, and they were basically said, we know who's here. You deal with the army. We got the generals. And they're looking for these Bruja. They were going to throw the fuck down right. with these Bruja. These are not the venture you know tonight in the modern. You don't know these people, at least as, as venture only. Right. And when they come in and see this, because this is nobility, this is power, this is lead by example, this is the reins of power being exercised through duty, and and that's awesome. But when they get there, there's no fight. Right. The Bruja are gone. <laughs> yeah, Bruja were like, nah, we're going we're gonna to bounce. Long gone, very pirate of them to be like, yeah, we're out. Y'all have this, we'll see you later. And I think that's pretty cool, right? It's over and done, but it leaves a bitter taste in their mouth. Uh, but what's funny is, from this, the Torter consider the Ventru barbaric. And the Bruja do too. And then the Venture are like, well, you're childish and dream. You're childish, chaotic dreamers at referring to the Bruja because mm-hmm. you can't leave well enough alone. And really, this is an argument about control. And again, showing immortality is a curse because if you're immortal, you want to be the sole person to rule. Because I think of Ozymandias, I believe it's how you say his name, when he was talking about the fact that he's going to be around for all time, why sh- he should be the one to rule. Right. Because it's, it's unto God, is it not? He will inherit all knowledge eventually. He, that's power. And so every immortal has that thought process in them, even if they don't. And it's the curse. Yeah. It's a, it's a bitter, uh, it's a bitter state of being because it is forever. The vampire wants to be a solitary creature because they're covetous. They're hoarders. They're like dragons almost not to get too nerdy, but whatever's out there, I should have it. I should have all the blood. I should have all the money. I should have all the resources. It should all be mine. But also, if I don't share, then I'm by myself and I'm going to go crazy. Right. <laughs> and I keep I keep my rivals around and I keep my enemies around because I need I don't want to be in a room by myself. I don't want to be solitary, even though I do like the end goal. I want all of it. Give it, give it, give it. But also once that goal is attained, well, I guess it's time to go to sleep to better see this. There's a Twilight Zone episode and it's a famous one. And everyone should know this. Or, or I think everyone should, if you're a fan of Twilight Zone like I am. It's Rod Sterling uh, basically points out there's a guy who dies, and uh, he thinks he goes to heaven. And everything he does is golden. You know, he gambles at the table, can't lose. He gets any hot girl he wants. The biggest house is his house. Everything he tries, he always wins, and he always succeeds. And in the end, he starts getting bored and frayed, and he's stressed out, and he's at a table, and he's trying to fuck up shots playing pool, and he's betting the farm taking big risks and it's always coming up a win 
and the dude's about to crack and he fucking looks at one of the girls he's like why the, why the fuck can't i lose i just want to lose mm-hmm. i mean this is heaven shouldn't there be a balance i'm going nuts here and she laughs and she's i believe it's a girl laughs and she's like what made you think you were in heaven <laughs> and it ends the episode that's exactly what i think of vampire ass right for for a solitary individual a rap, no another way of looking at it but that's what it is well uh again um you know to kind of help to paint this picture i don't want to derail too far but uh i was watching a, a video on youtube yesterday and uh i believe it i believe the show is called minefield uh or minefield maybe but anyways uh the guy that does vsauce i don't know if you're familiar with that yep. but like like he has a show on youtube and their youtube red thing whatever I don't, i'm not gonna pay money to use youtube they give you one of their free episodes. And one of the things that he was doing was like experiments of being solitary, of being left alone. And uh, they had this guy and a bunch of actors, right? And they're there testing like, uh, you know, certain stimulation, like, um, you know, press this button and it'll shock you. And, you know, tell us like what that experience was like. And, you know, just going through like these kind of like made up experiments, like what's this smell like? What's this taste like? Blah, blah, blah. Right. So what they did was they stuck them in a room. Right. And they were like, all right, sit in this chair. And um, this experiment requires you to stay in this chair for a half an hour in this room by yourself. There's no television. There's nothing to read. And if you could just stay in the chair, that'd be great. The only uh, odd thing about it was that electrical, the buzzer, when you press on it, it, it shocks you. They left it on the table next to him. It took two minutes for him to push that buzzer again. He knew he was going to get electrocuted, but the lack of stimulation just in two minutes was enough to drive him to the point. Like That's how much stimulation we need that when you leave us alone... For just a couple of minutes, we start trying to take things apart or break things or, you know, like that's and in this room by himself within 10 minutes, he had pushed that buzzer twice. And before he went into that room, they were like, what, what does that feel like? And he's like, it feels terrible. I don't ever want to experience that again. And pain that he knew he was going to get was preferable to boredom. Right. Uh, how messed up is that? The other thing they did, they left uh, the dude, Michael, the main guy on the show, they left him in a room for three days by himself. And like you lose all concept of time. You lose all concept of day or night when you're isolated. And now obviously this is an extreme version of that. But think of that human mind when placed into the body of an immortal and how no matter how long you've prepared yourself for being immortal, which is impossible, you can't no matter how long you think you've prepared, none of us can conceive of time in that way. And how long does it take for a week of solitary uh, living to turn into a month or a year? How long do you does it take for you to get bored with those that are around you? So why is there a need to rule? Why is there a need to take? Why is there a need to hoard or accumulate things? Why? Well, to cure the boredom of being immortal. <laughs> like, I think a lot truth. of factors go into it, and that's a driving yeah. force is that it's Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? Mm-hmm. Socialization is on there. Right. But how you socialize is there's a ton of other things that go into the uh, motivations of it. But like that experiment, you're right, kind of highlights just uh, you need to interact right. with something. It's interface, right? 
And uh, we should probably nerd words a lot of that, but that's because <laughs> <laughs> right. I could talk. I'm literally stopping yeah. myself. Yeah, and then there's this point, but we'll yeah, it's a little to off venture. topic to the review, but yes, <laughs> back to the venture. Uh, so here we are after uh, the example set by good old uh, the first Bruja War. Athens is done, and the Ventru clan pretty much settles among the Etruscans. That's where they go. And among the, if you don't know, the Etruscans were basically the ancestors to the Romans as you know them. And the Etruscans are out there, so we're in the Italy, Italian area, if you will. Right. And uh, we're chilling. And uh, along comes this guy named Kalat. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, Kalat's a Ventru elder and basically looks at all the other Ventru sitting amongst the Etruscans who are the ruling class and whatnot. And he's like, cool, I'm leading a rebellion. Literally leads a rebellion that topples all of them mm-hmm. and uh, all of their control anyway right. for him to sit as the new prin- the first prince of Rome and to kind of chill and sit back. Now, he immediately establishes the fact that, hey, man, we got two good lessons of not to be set up as a god king, not to be set up as anything but someone who influences. Right. So he kind of sits back and does that, but it's letting he, but he lets the other venture know who's in charge, and, and that's the important thing. And uh, Colette established, uh, Colette established how to uh, coexist in the city uh, without the mortals knowing he was even there. Now that's really important. So where Artemis set herself up as sort of a, they, she let them basically describe on their own what she is right and they called her a goddess you know of wisdom and that's and that's where it sets collapse like i'm not even here man no one's here right you know just do your thing we're gonna go about it and uh, i'm gonna use uh this method just so uh we stay out of limelight well and it makes it makes a lot of sense too because it's a lot more difficult to gain enemies if nobody knows you exist right and uh what's what's interesting about this is that uh Kalat obviously doesn't stay in power because later on, you know, we, we, we talked about this. He gets toppled by Camilla, mm-hmm. right? He's going to come in, he's going to end it. But this, that's, that's the Roman thing. We right. wanted that in first ed. Camilla, who we incorrectly attributed to a female in the first podcast, is a male. Right. right. <laughs> and, uh, Camilla, and we know that. <laughs> Camilla the chicken. That's right. what I refer to him as. Good old Camilla's still here. She makes, she makes the revision. But it's literally, a, <laughs> I, did, I did, I did, I did that on purpose. Makes the revision, it's all good. Yeah. And, uh, and that's that, but that story's told. Right. Rome is Rome is Rome. But um, one of the things they throw in is that you do not embrace famous people because they make terrible vampires. It's a big old excerpt that the Venture Clan book goes into, and I thought it worth noting right then because it kind of highlights everything else. Because you're going to think, why wasn't Julius Caesar embraced? Why wasn't... Uh, uh, Churchill embrace. Why wasn't uh, Adolf Hitler or whoever else? All these famous, allegedly charismatic power movies. Well, for one reason, um, those same people have an ego and charisma to go with it where you can't rule them. Right. They're not going to be teachable. And they're definitely going to wonder, who, why the fuck should I let you rule me when I'm the one with the power? But the guy to the right of that person, right. perfectly acceptable. Yeah, the person with his ear. Right. And that's, and that's the goal. And uh, so vampires need to embrace people that they can control. Right. And, and you know, the, the other thing, this just comes down to common sense. And when you take someone who's famous, like, think of yourself. Like, what, what would happen if you were famous, right? You, you had $50 million and, you know, Bob was the greatest uh, podcaster ever who lived, right? <laughs> and suddenly your Ventru master came and he was like, I'm going to embrace you. And you're like, okay, whatever that means. And he, he kills you. He kills you and rises you. And now, okay, well, everybody needs to know this. <laughs> everybody needs to know, hey, guys, I'm a, I don't care what the fuck he said. I got $50 million. No, no. Your $50 million is my mm, yeah, $50 million. No, it's uh, Your yeah. fame 
is my fame. No, no. Yeah, we're not going to do that because I have a cell phone. Like, obviously, exactly. you know, th- th- in the past they didn't, but they had their own ways. Like, you know, th- we have to remember there are traditions. There are the masquerade. And while they not be may not be formulated at this point, etched in stone, the ideas are already present. Right. And I mean, it's not quote-unquote traditions, but exactly. They're there. Right. And uh, so... Yeah, but they basically highlight it because this is how they were able to influence Rome mm-hmm. as a whole. And Camilla established a whole order of how that's done, right? Because she had her own pirage. It was a group of venture who get together to always discuss what Rome would do or what they would influence or try to accomplish through the Romans. And this develops a type of peace amongst them. Right. And uh, that's first dead talk, but I'm just you know paraphrasing going over differences here. And uh, from, from this Rome, we also encounter a talk about Carthage. Now, the importance of Carthage here is that it never really was a target. It never was until uh, a venture chilled, who was a survivor, by the way, of, um, I want to say, the name slips me. Uh, I just know this, that the hatred for the Bruja Brood, mm-hmm. that Bruja Brood is found in Carthage. Right. They start the whole thing in Carthage. And this is the descendant of, I believe, I want to say it was Artemis, but it's basically like, oh, wait a second, you assholes, you're over there. But Rome couldn't be bothered. Camilla couldn't be bothered. They were literally like, whatever. Carthage is in Africa, man. We're like, let's not, it's not, let's not make this a thing. Right. Like, what are they doing? That's so epic. He goes, well, I hear stuff. Yeah, we'll go find out. <laughs> right. And so he goes. And when he gets there, he finds that there's a bunch of Bruja broods and a bunch of Asimite broods running around drinking blood and, and forcing the mortals to live in fear, slavery, and worse. And that's just the way of things in Carthage. Right. It's a very brutal and violent place. And he goes back with that tale and makes it, tries to hype it up, tries to make it way worse. Now, what you're also going to know is that during the interim, Rome pretty much gets assaulted by Carthage. You know, Carthage comes over and tries to take over, over Italy for a bit. Rome throws him away. And then, you know, Carthage backs off, backs right the fuck off. But Rome has allies. You know, in other provinces, they call in the claim leadership, and historically, Carthage fucks with them. And then politically, Rome sort of, um, how do we put this, has hardliners right? who say, eventually, you know, Carthage has got to go. And you're Camilla. I just, you're Camilla right now. You're chilling. There's an orator walking around named Cato. And Cato always finishes everything he talks about with the phrase, Carthage must be destroyed. Always. <laughs> it's a, it's so, kind of a hard line stance, yeah? Cato doesn't know what a vampire is or remotely what it could be. He has no clue. He fucking hates Carthage because how dare they try to attack Rome? Right. How dare they try to take Roman influence? And this is historic. I mean, it's fact. Open a history book to read it. People couldn't believe it, but Cato was the voice of the hardliners. And for the most part, we're fine. Leave that be. But to be an orator amongst the Senate and to be popular... Mm-hmm. is power and there are people who more than believe in you and remember rome had their their soldiers were romans right and romans old roman soldiers become old roman senators and so this influence is vast so you have armies pissed off at carthage wanting to go but not having a reason and so rome takes a political reason to enter a war with carthage and here's camilla going what the fuck like we were fine right what is going well i'll tell you what's going on you had that guy find out what's going on in Carthage, and because Camilla wouldn't move, he goes and talks to a Malkavian prince and tells him how bad Carthage is. And Malkavian prince is like, well, they're not too bad. We didn't really know Bruja were in Carthage, but blah, blah, blah. Until Hannibal sends a guy uh, to say, hey, we're going to wage war. And the Bruja are like, nah, we'll send a dude. Right? And they send a Bruja 
dude to tell this Malkavian prince, hey, we're going to sack your two buddies. Deal with it. Malkavian prince frenzies and cuts his fucking head off. <laughs> calls it a day and then turns and tells the venture you'll have your soldiers. Right. And it's on. And the Torter agree they got to go. And so they come back and tell Camilla, hey, man, we got to do this war. And Camilla's like, you better catch up because the armies are already moving. What? And he's like, man, Kato wouldn't shut up. <laughs> you know, that's just what happened. So what, what occurs, though, is something that is so chaotic and crazy that to even read about. Now, folks, I have a history book here from college. I went through and went back to read just to see just how accurate on the ball this is. There's two hor horrific things that happen. One, the fiction is not as bad as the truth. The fiction half of it is the vampires take the field for the first time in history and the only time in history where they war with mortals. Mm -hmm. And you have broods of Tortor allies, Gangrel allies, Ventru, charging the helm to take, take on Bruja direct and all in Carthage. Right. <clears throat> and they mentioned that a, the, 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 Bale cults, uh, the Bale cults were there. So obviously the Bali were in action. Uh, but they didn't really know what to call them, but there was these weird occultist guys yeah, there. It's just like a knockdown, drag out, everybody's involved war. Horrific. They talk about off the bat, this is where Artemis dies. She takes the field of combat because she wanted at these guys, right? But a frenzied brood of berserker bruja off the bat charge her and tear her apart. And then you have badasses. The guy who went over, who was the descendant, who started it all, they bred him to be a warrior. That was his point. And now, now if memory serves, he's a child of Camilla not of the other two, but heard their story. Right. And so he enters the field and he survives the combat, but takes his, his scars and wounds to this very night. Like has no, no teeth for war after this war. So what's so brutal that a canine, an engine of destruction at its core decides that nah, we can't have bloodshed anymore. <laughs> right. well, war's over. It has to be bad. Well, here's what happens. If you want to know what whipping an army to a fervor, what it does, the Roman army goes to Carthage. And when they get there, and decided it has to be dealt with. This is after Carthage tried to come and sack Rome. They right. crossed the Alps to do it and couldn't do it, and then they get back home, and then finally Cato wins his arguments, and they're like, yeah, let's end them. And when they get there, they are tearing houses down. They're tearing buildings down. It's not enough to siege them. It's not enough to kill their soldiers. It's not enough. They want to salt the earth. Right. And so they order to rip the buildings down. And so if you can imagine, they had a Roman historian, and I, I had his name earlier, I forget it, uh, but he tells the whole tale of what occurred there. And he says they were pulling buildings down, right? And as they're pulling these buildings down, you could see women, old people, children hiding in these buildings, trying to hide from the Romans, which is killing anyone Carthaginian. You weren't Roman. You were there. You were getting killed. Right. As the buildings are being pulled down, toppling over, and these people are falling out of the buildings, crushed by rubble or wounded or worse, they're there. Well, these holes are developing. Well, now the army can't move through. We can't move through with this. So they send in the street cleaners. And they give them metal tools. And the street cleaners are hooking dead bodies and filling ditches with them. So that horses and carts can go across. And by the way, there's a lot of them are still alive. Right. And if you were dead, they put you in face first so your feet were up out of the ground. Clearing the rubble with it. Or filling the holes with it. If you were alive, they put you in there with your feet up. So that when the horses came by, it cracked your skull open with the hoof landing down it. This was not by design. This is a result of because they hit them so fast and the army was moving so assuredly that their general, I believe it was Scipio, and because uh, I want to get that name right. I have it in here. Yes. It was Scipio Amelianus uh, was moved by the destruction of Carthage and by moved, open tears. Mm -hmm. He wept open tears from where he led his army and was lamenting at the fate of their enemy that no one, sh sh you shouldn't have to suffer this. And he was in awe of Rome. 
is what it was, was that the power they have, has there ever been a power so absolute that could do this? Now, I want you to be Camilla the Prince. Think of how reinforced the masquerade is. Right. You think the masquerade's a joke? We can poke at it and how serious the venture take it? That's why they take it so serious. Right. When there was canines sitting there who were just influencing and nudging, you had an army that decided something that was only befit to be seen in hell was birthed. Right. And and you can see the, the power of humankind then. And that's something that uh, they've tried to emphasize, I think, throughout the entirety of this game, why there's a thing called a masquerade. Because human beings, I mean, let's take vampires out of the equation. We live in the real world, right? Just look at the military might of us now. Now draw it back 200, 300 years. Like, war is bad stuff. And you have enough assembled people with an enemy that they want to go at, bad things are going to happen. It's very easy for us just as individuals to, like, lose sight of how terrible that stuff can be. But that's where we come from. But if you wonder where like Geneva Conventions and the laws of war, where they started from, where even back, even before Geneva Conventions, people were obeying, like, take your wounded, take your dead. That's this war. Right. There has never been a war that brutal, period, since then. Think of how powerful that is. Civilizations, leaders, whatever, that is still a lesson every civilization has taken to heart is what occurred and happened to the Carthage, or Carthaginians. It's fucking terrible. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's also kind of cool, historically, to see that impact. Um, but then you go on and the venture are like, guess what? That all happened. You're welcome. We told you, asked me for the leaders. <laughs> right. We told you what we would do if properly right. motivated. Now we stomped them. We salted the earth. Fuck them. They're gone. Well, the rest of the clans were like, well, I guess we better leave the venture alone. I mean, look what they did. But the venture like, no, no, hold on. You came and assisted. And I want you to note that that's what they say. Right. They assisted. You didn't have that fight, bro, if, if we weren't there. But no, no, Venture said you assisted. You get spoils as well. So of known civilization that Rome has conquered, we grant you fiefdoms. You, you can rule here. You can rule there. But they must never know of you. That's right, the distinction. Right. Learn our tricks. They must never know of you, and you influence covertly. I don't want to ever have to come over there. You go, no, 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 no. We got it, man. We get it. Your example's true because, mm-hmm. you know, look what Rome did. Fuck them. And moving on. Right. But that's how... At this point, they get over the known world. Now, from that, you get a a lot of history gets skipped, and rightly so, because you want to go over every event, but you get the idea. Right. Well, I mean, and let's look at this from a book perspective. We're on chapter one. Yep. Right? And we're, I don't know, 40 minutes into the podcast, probably. Yeah. We'll we'll say give or take a 40 minutes. This hyper goes through, because it's like, those are the differences that we got period from that book to this right but the one point that we have to have to outline I told you earlier your comment about how the venture operate wealthy and whatever mm-hmm. to the modern knights here's where that goes to the wayside hardest at the elders rise to power is because somehow this guy makes it through the long night the dark ages right unscathed he also makes it through the inquisition unscathed all the the other elders who were yeah. with them and opposed them but uh hey bob uh does he I know, <laughs> but at this point, yes, right, like, right. I'm not right, not right. this podcast man, right, 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 because he, he makes it through. And there's a reason he's called Harder Set the Elder to back up what you said, right? And he makes it through. And what happens is, while he's there, he also formulates the idea of the Camarilla, right? Because he says, "What's been the problem throughout the ages? Why are these civilizations? Why are we always warring and trying to kill each other? And now the mortals are at it again. And they burnt to death everybody. When are you guys going to learn?" And he's like, "I got the solution though." we unite right that's the solution 
that forms the Camarilla. But while they're forming the Camarilla, he was really buying time to centralize the Ventru clan. Mm -hmm. Because the Ventru clan were still responsible for all sorts of revolts and gouging each other's uh, holdings and what have you, whether they knew it or not. They were working against one another because they were working to serve themselves. And then, like, you know, you wouldn't totally destroy and wipe out a fellow Ventru, but if they were not ruling as good as you, you absolutely would take your fair chunk of the pie, leave them with something, but, you know, they would know who is in charge and who's not. Right, well, and, and I think that's the problem with a clan full of, uh, of kings. Who, who, who's in control of the kings? Who leads the kings? Who rules the rulers? <laughs> right. So what Hardestead does, he says, hey, to centralize this shit and bring it up on the mainstream, we're going to establish a council of peers that was used back in Camilla's day. Remember the peerage I mentioned that she had? Mm -hmm. We're going to bring them, but we're going to add to it. We're going to create a euphoric council. You know, we're going to take about me and two dozen influential venture uh, and form the charter of euphors. And that charter is going to state that we're the, we're the directors of the venture clan. We'll sit in secret. No one will ever know who we are. And we'll sit in the way back. And what we'll do is provide a forum for grievances for individual venture so that we are not at each other's throats. So we have a direction where to go. You know, not necessarily fair, because how could it be, right? But it is a form of unite. You know, brings us to a self-disciplined focus. And then to go further, right? Right. Because Hardestead then says, cool, now that we got this all set in motion, in a Camarilla's form, one of the first Justicars is Democritus. Now, if you play Jihad, the Eternal Struggle, you know Democritus. It's one of the big cards you get. Yeah, it's early, early, early. You just yeah. don't know what the hell his point is. Well, Democritus is... In <laughs> what is his point? He just looks square. <laughs> right. Well, Democritus is, is a footnote here, really a sentence, but he's, he's in charge of the brood that gets tasked to go around all of known Europe and Asia and seed wealth investments. Right. To the, to the guidance of the wealthy, influential directorate, right? So they're walking around saying, hey, let's take some of that gold from Spain and let's orchestrate a way to make it. Let's, let's invest in that Silk Road that was back there that they had in China that was going that far over there. And let's do one further. Let's get in the fur trade. Let's do the slavery trade. Let's do every investment, especially with the merchant bankers in Italy. And let's get a piece. Right. And so, but it's only 24 or 25 venture if you include them, right? Two dozen right. plus him. Well, that's their modern wealth. That's why they're the wealthiest clan to this day. And that's what establishes. But it does something else, too. And uh, it's something I wanted to mention. I was very big on it. Ow. Mm -hmm. It establishes the argument of the Venturianti Tribune. The Venturianti Tribune were just Venturianarchs after the Inquisition. Right. And they said, hey, man, noblesse oblige. We have an obligation of nobility to lead by example, to earn our, our way. We don't. Why are you running around bribing mortals and getting them to do all sorts of shit and sitting back and saying, because you're wealthy, you're in charge? That's not how it's done. We lead by example. To Nate's point, remember, Hardestead, the Elder, might have thought that way. Right. But after the Inquisition, or during the Inquisition, he doesn't survive it. Hardestead, the Younger, takes his place. The Ventru clan refused to allow what Hardestead started and what he was on the, uh, the, uh, the hook for accomplishing fail because of some upstart Bruja. Right. We're not even going to let something as, I don't know, simple as his death prevent that right and so they they force another his chilled right to be, you're the new hardest that say nothing of it so i know you've watched the wire right and uh i don't want to give any spoilers away but there's a character that dies i think in the third season and the character is killed by people that have grievances with him from way back when right, right? but the organization he's a part of is in a war with a group of people and 
there's another character in there that says, uh, you know, that basically his death is blamed on that organization they're fighting. And his buddy is like, no, nah, man, you know, these people didn't do it. Somebody else did it. We got to find them. And like his right hand man says, if it's a lie, we fight on that lie. <laughs> we rally our troops to fight because this is our enemy in front of us. Whoever that was, whoever this young upstart Bruja was, we don't want to give them any credit for toppling this. This is our plan. We've already hung our hats on this plan. If we let his death cause that failure, there's no point. You hang it up. And it makes perfect sense. I mean, you have to do it because look at the success they had from it. Right. But the venture to the modern knights from Harderset, the younger now, as we know, are not the venture of old. No. And the venture... Anti or the Venture Anarchs become the anti tribute because they basically tell that clan now in the Camarilla, you're dead. You're <laughs> right. not who we were. Right. Cain laid the laurels of leadership upon our head and shoulders and handed us the sword and the scepter. We are charged to see them through. You now take it and sell yourselves like common whores and expect us to sully our nobility in our name? No, your blood will be reclaimed and we'll see you on the battlefield. And that is why in the Sabbat, the La Sombra hate the Ventru clan, mm -hmm. not the anti-tribute, the Ventru clan. Right. Here's where people get it twisted. Another podcast, she told me why, or La Sombra, just the Ventru. This is why I say you're mistaken and gravely mistaken. Mm -hmm. To the La Sombra, the Ventru anti-tribute are proper opponents. Those are real opponents, but unfortunate for, for, for fader history, they're actually allies that see us for who we are. Right. They are noble, and they will pull themselves up by their own, and they're their brother's keeper, if right. not anything else. But... Until they clear the besmirched sullyment of their blood, which is the Camarilla, because right. that's what the Venture Anti say. Right. It is not good enough to kill our clan. What they made gets wiped out, so the lie is removed. Right. As it should be. And that's where you have Venture Anti Tribute being the most popular of the Anti Tribute because they have the strongest beef with the Camarilla that goes beyond Sabat propaganda. Right. The other thing I really enjoy about this book and a lot of the revised books is that they give you the perspective of the clan, you know, the the writers of the material. You know, I use air quotes. Right. But then they also give you things like, here's the actual skinny, where right. they talk about, like, there's a box here that mentions Le Sombre Revisionism. And, you know, I'll just give a brief uh, little uh, description here, but it, it says, uh, venture historians have not always held a negative view of the La Sombra, in fact, until the formation of the Sabbat, the Venture had little to say about the clan for good or for ill. Only in the past five centuries or so have historians begun to find evidence of uh, La Sombra perfidy. Uh, perfidy? I don't, I'm not familiar with right. that word. I feel dumb, dumb now. Uh, perfidy through the ages. Now, many Venture, even those old enough to know better or young enough to be otherwise apathetic, believe that the La Sombra have been a constant thorn in the Venture's side ever since the Knights of the First City. In fact, despite being competitors for eons, the Venture and La Sombra did not come to an, into outright clan-wide conflict until the formation of the Sabbat. Hmm. It, yeah, revisionist history. Always they've been terrible. <laughs> right. <laughs> Hence why they would create this sect, these bastards. So to La Sombra, though, back to your point about isolationism when it does the immortality, it had to have been when the Venture were just the Venture before the, all that, uh, they were worthy adversaries and, and glad to know you. Good. They're good at what they do. But afterward, it's like they're making fun of them. If you think you're our equals, really? All right, keep thinking that. We'll see you soon. Perfidy means deceitfulness, <laughs> untrustworthiness. I'm learning. Thanks, guys. <laughs>
<laughs> Man, I was just gonna let that go. I was like, it's no, all good. You no, I, no, we 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 do not let it go. <laughs> I let it go because I didn't want to seem that I was cutting you off and no, it's and fair. You out, it's fair. So. I, I'm not familiar. That's a, I don't know that word. It's golden. Now I do. And now you seem more human and empathize with I the do. wider audience. I do. It's good. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you guys. Thanks for sticking with me. So we can skip the rest of that. I right, mean, to the right, modern and everything right. else, we know all about that about the venture. And I think uh, concepts of venture, we get into the fact of how they're, uh, what, what is noblest oblige, right? Mm-hmm. And, and what that is, is a noble obligation. That's exactly what that means. But what does it mean to a venture player? Well, let me explain in another light. It says that you are noble and you're obligated to certain behavior to maintain and establish that nobility, not just for you, mm-hmm. but for nobility as a whole. Right, it's almost an arist- it is an aristocratic term uh, to even think that way, but it goes deeper because there's several levels of what that obligation is. One of them being dignitas, and when we mention dignitas, you're gonna fly through the book, tearing apart every book, looking for where there's a rating and how to buy it and what it means, and you're gonna be mistaken. Right, it's not because you have, you probably don't have dignitas, and that's why you're tearing through right. the book to look You'd for it. You question dignitas by. Uh, assigning a pathetic number or quantity to it. We don't do that. Where dignitas comes from, it's literally to the Roman sense, it would be all all your accomplishments and who you are and who your family is and what you have done or will do sums up your dignitas. It is who you are. Mm-hmm. To the Japanese, it is face. Right. Right? It's saving face. It's the face you present, and it's the same thing. Right? Right. The, that's That's dignitas. It's basically viewing the things that you've done and you've accomplished and the positive benefits that you've bestowed upon the clan or even just the world at large and going, I acknowledge that you've done that. I acknowledge that you are the prince of the city. That is a very dignified position to hold. You've done well. To cut away the bullshit, we all know what dignitas is every time you get together for a social function. The first thing people want to talk about is where you're from, who, what's your job, and what's your family like. Right. And people tend to lie here more than anywhere else they're going to lie in their life because you don't want to be seen as not having enough or not belonging. That's your dignitas talking. You're trying to have, and not dignity. I'm talking you're literally trying to keep up with the Joneses right. in this conversation. And to people with true dignitas, even you don't have the right dignitas to be there. Even they don't because you don't need to bring it up. Right. Those with dignitas merely have it. And we're here to socialize because you all know what I've done. Right. Now, when I walk into a room and they give us a pretty good example in the book, I've been asleep for 400 years. I don't know anything about what's going on. While I slept, my fortunes, the things that I've accumulated have been pecked apart by my lessers. Uh, They've been dashed to the winds just due to war and time. However, I've accomplished great things in this clan. And when I walk into this room of Other Ventru, I expect to be given the respect I earned through the things that I've done. I may not have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. And in fact, I don't because I've slept for 400 years. However, I was still Prince once. I was still an Archon. I still was in the running for Justicar. And I'm not going to tell you you need to view me that way, but I expect it nonetheless. And when I walk in, you'll go, hmm, he's on the outs. However, look at what he did for the clan. Come in, sit have some blood but let's let's keep in that vein the reason why we are polite to you and are going to acknowledge your mm-hmm. past accomplishments thus your dignitas is because we all have dignitas right and we wish the same to be elevated however you've been out of the game for a while right however we're going to grant you assistance you didn't even ask for support right but we will grant it because you are great amongst us right however some of us have grown mighty while you slept mm-hmm. and you 
will give the same dignitas to them and honor the oh, supporting absolutely. them. Oh, absolutely. And you'll notice that youthful group of Ventru, those young Turks looking for a, a step up in the rankings, the, the non-existent, we don't observe them rankings, and they're constantly trying to give me assistance. And you know what? I'm going to let them because, one, I deserve it, but two... I'm going to play them against those other fellas that uh, have been sh shining my knob, uh, you know, behind my back. Uh, because they, too, they know my voice speaks volumes. Even though I don't have a lot to give, I've had a lot to give in the past, and I could in the future. So I'm going to take advantage of all those. And when I get my base of power back, all of them can expect reward. I've, But you've never really lost your base of power. Right. Because under politeness, they're giving it back to you. Right, of course. You still have it. <laughs> right. <laughs> they have to be polite because they know that you to topple and fall mm -hmm. is to invite all your enemies to Clan Venture. It's, it's, it's to make us seem weak. Right. We can't have any one of us seem weak outside the clan. Right. In the clan, politely as you fall, we will put the pillow beneath your bottom. Right. This is so you get off your duff, noblesse oblige, and bring yourself back to where you were. Right. Because we are great because you make us great. And we will keep you great, provided you make us great. And if that's confusing, let's sum it up by saying <laughs> the weakest link, right? Right. We do not suffer the weakest link. You will be great or you will be forgotten. And that is what you have the option of choosing. And I think it's very safe to say that if you're interested in politics, in the intricacies of politics, there's no better clan to jump in and play than this particular clan. It's machinations on machinations, and it's all done with a smile and a handshake. And you may be wondering, why do they do it? Two reasons. One, it's a sense of control. Period. Remember, at the core, the, at the core, excuse me, at the core, the modern venture that you fought, the directorate, mm -hmm. they control the clan without anyone ever knowing who they are. That is a form of control. The wealth they have coming in unlimited, that is a form of control. The help and assistance they give and impress upon each other to grant succor, that is a form of control. It is all to keep the clan where it belongs. Right. And it teaches them what to do to everyone outside of the clan. Control them by granting them assistance, but letting them know they owe you and never let them pay their debt. Never let them pay their debt. So they always owe you. That's, that's the way to do it. Right. Um, always be seemingly the one who has the reins. The other half is cruelty. Yes, they have it. There is a polite, unspoken cruelty to being the one in power and to listen to the woes of your friend. How aggrandizing would it be if I'm Bob the Millionaire, super podcaster, as you said earlier, <laughs> and some of our friends come walking up and their lives are utter shit. Mm -hmm. Just life has been horrible and terrible and death and everything else. Right. And here they come and I invite them out every weekend to sit in my home and uh, my home of 50 rooms. And I tell them, hey, feel free. Take a room. Food. Drink. Stay with me. What, what do you need? Yeah. I'm here to give you everything. I'm here to help you, to always help you, as I always have done. Am I not magnanimous? <laughs> right. Am I not your friend? Shit, Bob got embraced Ventru. And that's fucked. And that's what it is. And they'll be like, yeah, Bob, you're awesome. It's cool. I have all the latest things that you said were good. I don't have time to find them, but are these not to your liking? Of course they are. Thank you. And, wh and what do you give me? Nothing but your un unswerving loyalty. That's what you give me. Right. And with that, by you giving me that without having to say that, you also polish my ego to such a shine that God himself wonders how he got to that to be in that house, in my flesh. Because that's what it feels like. You, right. are, you are worshipped without being worshipped. And that's cruel as fuck when it comes down to it, right? Yeah. And that's, and that's, that's a level. But that's the clan. That's the clan in a nutshell, right? 
Um, a tipped organization, because I do know we were asked this a couple times when this all started even, yeah. about heads or tails of what the Venture titles and whatever mean. You already know what the director it is, the board, right? We get that. Um, when you mentioning in the organization, how does one rise and fall? It is about Dignitas, and it's kept vague right? because it's control. Right, absolutely. So the guy in your city who's in charge of that board, he gets to tell you whether you're good or not. And, and I've always looked at it like this. It's um, it's something, you know, you have your clan hierarchy, you have your city hierarchy, right? And in most large cities, you're going to have a number of Ventru. And it's one of those things where I'm just going to do things that are going to bring value to the clan. They're going to bring... Uh, a certain, you know, a ventru to the ventru. And I'm doing them within the, with the hopes that I'm going to rise in the ranks. However, there isn't a number. There isn't a quantity. Once I get to this, once I've done five good things, I get to be on the board of directors. No. Like, you just you do stuff, and then they go, yeah, you're good enough. You can come up. <laughs> right. You know, it's, it, it's, it's definitely, I use this word a lot, but it's definitely nebulous. It's not like somebody's you know chiseled out how do you get to a and b it's not on, tangible uh, right it's not so if you need help understanding it imagine trying to go to paris france amongst the aristocracy uh that existed back in the day and uh trying to rise in their ranks but your new money right right and it's the same thing within the camarilla too yep. you know how do i rise in these ranks maybe you do maybe you don't maybe you're really great and we put you somewhere or maybe you're really great and we just keep you under our thumb can i, can I send an example real quick i mean it's off top but it fits yep so we have a Torter player who decided to play this girl, uh, uh, Lissette Oshien, right? And she comes in with nothing. Like, she has a background, nice Torter, a lovely background, but, like, really no way of trying to rise in the ranks of the city. And I'm going to tell you a secret exactly how she did it. She made a mistake off the bat in her introduction night, took that blow, sat back, and ate it. She ate it with, with dignity. Right. She failed and knew she failed, and she did everything she could to get back in the good graces of those she fell out of the light of by putting out small fires, by being polite, always ever polite, by making sure things they wanted and needed, trying to anticipate what they wanted and needed without being a sycophant. Right. Doing it with a sense of decorum. And then a few conversations, a few nights meeting and whatever, and they saw maybe that was a bad impression. Everyone steps wrong. It's mm -hmm. okay. Let's get your way back. That's how she did it. You may say, oh, so she kissed ass and got back. You're damn right she did. Because that's how it's done. We're the elite. Right, right. right. We're the elite. If ever there was an ass to kiss, it is the A-list elite. Right. We're not talking about your friendly neighborhood podcasters. We're exactly. talking about your Camarilla vampires, your Ventru that control everything. They, right. they, And they don't. They don't control it, but they control it. Exactly. And it's frustrating for anybody not, because if you're of a realist bent, oh, my God, are these guys just insufferable. Right. But at the same time, that's why they're the venture. And, and, you know, the thing is, if you get into a game where, like, let's say you've been playing this game for a long time and it just politics was never a thing. But then you start playing in a game where politics is like, like a good LARP is a good example because you have a lot of people that can get involved. Oh, yeah. And when those people are like on their game and they're like super sharp, polished to a hone, like if you're you can get cut down quick. Dude, we'll, we'll have to save a lot of yeah. for nerd words, but dude, we've, played, we've had the privilege of being games that lasted, you know, a couple of years like that, that were fucking fantastic and, and on that. But uh, to get back to it, so, yeah. the, so the director is your regional assembly, okay? Mm -hmm. They're the ones you'll never know who's in charge. They did it that way because of control. We said that. Then you have your elders, which the Ventru call the Stratagoi. Your elders are typically princes, but they could also be primogen. They're people 
irrefutably in charge of the venture in a city or territory. Right. They're the ones who call the shots for it. And these guys can set up their form of a board, right? Which means they'll set up like a, their own little civil board where every venture has a representative there and they talk about the, on, the ongoings of the clan. And the board kind of acts as a mini you for it, but you know who they are. And to help that make sense, basically, if I'm Loden, the prince of the city, all the venture in the city are going to tell me the ins and outs of what's going on in the city, but more importantly, what they're doing within to benefit either themselves or the clan so that we can help. Right. We're all here to help. And that's the point. And the more venture there are, that they don't see that as a problem. The more venture, the more help given. The more help can be given. But at the same time, every venture is trying to politely outdo the other one. But the strategoi is the one who reports to the euphoric. Right. And the euphoric is the one who's going to tell the strategoi when they got to change directions. Right. Which means this clan is actually very stacked and very controlled in terms of what they can do. But to the wily kindred, the wily venture, that's lip service. Right. <clears throat> I can appease them and still do what I want and accomplish it. They're not they're not doing, you know, what the Tremere is doing where they have like this hierarchy and there's blood bonds involved, but it's very much like a business, a company, a collective of powerful elders that I mean, look at the Camarilla. Look at the Camarilla as an example. Like the Ventru pretty much set that up. Mm, why wouldn't you think that their internal workings would be similar? You've got your powerful elders on top of your <laughs> powerful elders. And, you know, all the way down to your, you know, your citywide political machinations. Well, interesting enough, what happens if there's a Stratagoy, an elder, who's fucking it up? Or there's a place that Venture should be doing very, very good at, but you hear some nefarious things that would be smirching our reputation. Mm -hmm. Well, they deploy what's known as a lictor. Yeah. And what a lictor is, and you'll see clan relations. I'll mention another clan has a similar structure, right? A lictor is as to an aster in Clan Tremere. Right. You're internal. You have no real authority right. in yeah, terms you, of the Camarilla. Come on in and get acknowledged, However, homie. if this phrase is true, let me show you a logical truth with it. If the will of the prince is the will of the city, the will of the Camarilla is the will of the venture, or more importantly, the will of the venture is the will of the Camarilla. So it's important to note that if a lictor comes around, he's important in the clan, and he's there as a troubleshooter for the directorate, who the fuck is the directorate? Right. They're sitting on your inner and who thought of the Camarilla? Yeah, they got authority. They just don't. Right. You know what I mean? So when they come to a city to handle Ventru, most princes wisely let Ventru handle Ventru shit. You handle your business, whatever you think is going on, I don't even know about it. Which makes it very scary for Ventru in the city. Because that guy came in, came in for a reason, and Elictor's only there because someone fucked up. And they're, they're cleaning house and straightening shit out, and you never know if it's you or not. Right. They're just there to adjudicate, and that's that's what they do. And their dignitas warrants them being a lictor more than anything. And that's that's why they get used. But how do we know where to direct where these lictors go? Well, they have tribunes, which are also known as agents at large. And what a tribune is, is just the eyes and ears. Or what we call it in a pen, snitches. <laughs> Damn, broke-ass snitches. That's, that's what they are. I right. mean, they'll grandize the title, but basically you're a person that sits there and goes, did you know what else he did? The mm -hmm. strategoi said that this happened and because this happened... Some might say, this? Bob, that they operate with perfidy. Yeah, they operate with perfidity. <laughs> that's what you say. That's why I say it too. That's what have perfidity happen. 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade. Nate learns the word perfidy. So, and then you have the, the rest collectively as the peerage. Everyone is part of the peerage in the Ventru clan. Mm -hmm. If you're not one of those titles, you're considered peers because the peerage have rights to be heard by the euphoric, mm -hmm. right? Through channels, of course. Right, but they, of course. they have a means to hear whatever. 
but how you're heard is based on your dignitas. So right. if you're a member of the peerage and you're nobody, you, you nobody hear you. Now, I want to state for the record, and I've stated it in almost every podcast we've done in the last year, we're giving you kind of like the cliff notes, right? Yep. We're kind of reviewing what's in the book, and, and you know, we're granted, we're, we're trying to give lessons, but also we're not a replacement for reading. Like, this is just us sort of like waxing uh, shorthand about what these positions are. And Definitely more, read this. And more stuff. importantly, what it means to us and how we use it, because there's many different ways. Like you can make it to where the Pirage is a special group only. Sure, right. whatever knocks it off. But then, what makes one venture, one venture chilled better than a Bruja chilled? And, and, and at the end of the day, what it comes down to is that if you're if you're running a game and you go, you know what, I don't like that stuff in the Venture Clan book. I think it's just uh, overly confusing, and I just want to use the Venture like however I want. Uh, great, that's why they made the game and gave you this optional hey, book. Man. We were reviewing this book. You'd be a goddamn venture on this podcast. Absolutely. Well, what I'm saying, though, is this, to me, makes this clan a more playable, enjoyable, and nefarious yep. uh, clan to play. And, I mean, it, it creates a, an additional, a whole other political layer to this onion. If you want more titles, they have city titles, which I'll, I won't define them, but I'll tell you what they are. Mm -hmm. uh, they're commonly known as, because usually that in the name tells you what they do, and then I'll give you the special name they give them. So you may hear someone, probably usually in LARPs you hear this term, refer to the board. Right. Right? The board in a city would pretty much, a strategoi sits at the head of the board, based on Dignitas. But they're also called the Jerosha, right, if you want a fancy term for them. Don't let it throw you for a loop. It just means they're a member of the board. Uh, then you have uh, managers, which are... Praetors, right? <laughs> right? That's what they call themselves. But what's a manager? Well, it's the highest ranking venture. Right. He's the manager. Usually it's the prince, or maybe it's not. Who knows? Right. It's your game. It's, it's just, your city. It's more titles for title's sake. Right. Then you have these supervisors. Huh. Wow. Why is there... Uh, well, if they're managers, they got to have someone to look after people. Right. Right. The You know... Uh, I, I mean, I've had a supervisor, but, you know, that's not my manager. Sometimes it might be called like a lead or, you know, depends on your, your so, general era. So basically the understanding real quick would be that a primogen's the Camarilla title. Right. The Venture would refer to that guy as the manager or the, or the uh, excuse me, as the Praetor. And then he would have a whip. Mm -hmm. That whip is a Camarilla title, but the Venture would call him the supervisor. Right. Or they would give him his loftier title, the Adeel. Right. Right. And that's how that works. And that really, I think, probably comes down to how old the Venture and the city are, especially like the the Venture, the more uh, the higher dignitas uh, Venture. You know, if it's a young city and a lot of younger Venture, they're probably not going to use those uh, other titles. They're going to call you supervisor. So if all Venture among the Peerage and we're in a city, what distinguishes me from the common Venture, the common Peerage? How do I know I'm coming up? Well, I would have the internal title of being a foreman. Or a caseter. Mm -hmm. It literally means that you have done something to warrant the notice of others to elevate you out of the common pool. That's it. And then, of course, the bottom of the pile, you have the associates or the iron. Right. Also part of the purage, but that's what they refer to them internally. Mm -hmm. And why do they do this? Um, this is important as it is in any game where you have a society. I mean, society. To me, when I read through this, it kind of sounds like it parallels like La Cosa Nostra as well. Um, you know, very similar as far as like 
position and duty and you know obviously that's not what it is it's not what it is but it's there can be a correlation could be made an argument could be made in favor of such things and then it goes to the embrace the children all that and it's of course naturally a special in-depth process uh notified as the agoge and we're not going to detail it because we spent a hell of a lot of time yeah we (laughs) we've definitely talked long um one thing too that um not so much in this book but in a lot of the other revised clan books we're starting to see more combination disciplines and you know a lot of people are like man we don't care about that but there's some of you that do um more ironed out merits and flaws again not so much in this book there's one it's an infamous one and you get to buy a background at six look at you <laughs> right How about right. you huh but anyways you uh, there's that um but then you know you'll you there's more in-depth information about how the clan uses disciplines how they specialize in them they start to try to make that discipline system a bit more dynamic not just everyone has level five and it's always the same right like different clans have different specializations and their blood and the way that they use it sort of makes it a little bit more malleable um you know to give you more to work with to you know so and i want to end this with uh or end this or get this to the to this point all of this information everything in this clan book is designed to do one thing to make you feel that you're a venture it was the number one complaint of the first edition books about the clans is how do I play this? How do I portray this well? And if you couldn't swim in the in the creative waters they put out, some of us were blessed and were able to, others had difficulty. This gives you more than training wheels. It gives you the damn manual of how to do it. Right. And how you do it is you stick to the terminology. You stick to the structure. You use the structure. Don't be the creative snowflake that swims against the grain because then you. how do you know you're playing a venture, right? Be the one... That is playing adventure if that is your shtick. I mean, by all means, if you're playing a rebel to the clan, still know the book so you know how to rebel right, against exactly. what they are. But that's the point. And it distinguishes that vampire from anything else other than saying, well, he has a weakness. He must be a venture. Right. I, I would say personally, you know, of course, after this, we're going to get into the the 10, you know, pre-made characters, give you some ideas. Awesome. You can read that yourself. We yep. don't typically go over those. And at the end, it has uh, an example brood. Uh, of Ventru, and we're not going to go over that either because that's you know read that for what you what you want but how would i proceed if i was a new player not familiar with this game i would say first and foremost get these revised clan books read them understand the material and what they're talking about and then supplementally take a look at like lore of the clans or lore of the bloodlines to see what little bit has changed from that because these books individually you know these are what 100 pages may give or take that's 100 pages of material written specifically about this clan so it's going to give you all of the flavor that you need to understand this clan well to understand how to portray it to understand the nuances of it and the lore of the clans is going to give you all right what happened between revised and now that isn't Gehenna plot? What's the little stuff that fits in? What new little cool disciplines do we have? That stuff's just like icing on the cake. You're basically just going, okay, what's changed from revised to here? What was taken out from the Gehenna plot? And the shortened version of it is, is you need this clan book to make the V20 make sense. And why do you say you need it? Because otherwise, remember back in the day, you just did the base book and that little page that described the clan, that's exactly what you're doing in V20. 
you're relying on one little page to be your end all be all. Right. And if you're saying that the lore of the clans does amazing at filling out everything, it doesn't. No. It does a good job at covering the gap. Yeah. But not to supplement. Yeah, I mean, or replace, excuse me, the uh, ten the or fifteen, ten or fifteen pages about the clan is not. It's not good enough. It's not. It's not really going to fill you with the material that you need. It's good, but do you want dignitas? Or do you want to forever be known as a foreman? <laughs> right. And that's the question. Me, myself, I'm on the directorate. And I think where you want to be is somewhere near the board. Try a little harder. Yeah. So basically what we're saying is these revised clan books are super, super, super important for you to understand the intricacies and the details of the clan that you want to play. Do you need them? It's your game, man. You don't. You don't need to spend the money if you don't want to, but do we feel that they're imperative? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Would we advise having them? Absolutely. Do we have copies and copies and copies of them? We do. How many venture advisors do we have? I know we have so a minimum. We have, we have one book per person doing the podcast, and then there's at least one additional right. revised on the shelf there, plus all the second ed crap as well. So going through this, I'll tell you, when me and Nate, or well, when I was building the library, as it were, um, my uh, fiance at the time knew it was my passion is hers too. Whenever we would go to Gen Con, we'd look for discounts. Well, Nate was usually the best at finding the absolute discount <laughs> for the most from first buck because that's how it went. But me, I would buy. It didn't matter if I was passionate about the book they wrote. They have it, and I'm going to say this, and I don't care how it sounds. I've noticed a trend. If Justin Achille had a hand in the book, I own it. That's a powerful statement, and it's something I'm realizing because there, there is. I'm not saying he's the only factor. Like he helped direct this book obviously bring it through and whatnot. And there is strong writers in this book. Yeah. But there's obviously a methodology to it. And I'm not glamming on him or nothing like that, but I think he did a good job. Yeah. And I want to state that. And I think that those books make a lot of sense. Like when, when that happens, it gets there. Giovanni Clan book was the start of me falling in love with the, with the vampire. Like, honestly, if that book wasn't there, I probably would have stopped this a while ago. <laughs> fair Seriously. enough. Yeah, no, fair enough. Well, basically what we're saying is uh, this is an A book. This is a this is a worthwhile for as bad as the original Venture Clan book was. This I feel fixes all that and then some. I think it's a very good book. My only small complaint is that it only has the one merit in it. If it had had more merits and flaws, I'd have been happier because all the other books do. But it gives you a six point merit where you get to buy a sixth dot of a background. So, <laughs> you know, take it for what it is. Other than that, I think it's a great book and it gives you a really great, n not nonsensical look at the Venture Clan. There's no secret masters here. If you're a collector and you're going to get all of them like we are, like we have, I recommend it only because in reading the first edition book, you're going to say Secret Masters all over and it was terrible. It was horrible. Um, they still have Secret Masters. They just call them the directorate. <laughs> Remember, they're, you're not supposed to know who they are. Right. How uh, do you know who they are? Yeah, but but the concept is not, uh, you know. It's, it's correct. Don't it's like, been revised, folks. I'm, I'm, I'm politely poking everyone in the nose <laughs> with that. Yeah, so anyways, we're going to wrap it up. Thank you guys for listening. Um, we got the holiday coming up. Um, if there's any information to be told, we'll tell you that coming up. Um, next week, our review is the, it's not perfidy. <laughs> but <Clan> book. Perfidity? <laughs> perfidy. Nah, man, I looked it up. It's perfidy. Is it prison the shanking? Are prison we finally are we finally reviewing that book by Black Dog? Perfidy, homie. Um, it's Vampire Storyteller's Handbook Revised. So um, that'll be uh, you know, probably not as long as this because that you know it's just like kind of detailed information about abilities and stuff like that. But we're gonna read through it, 
see what uh, information we can refresh our memory with and what we can we give gonna you. We're going to do what we do, and you'll probably get a lot of storyteller tips, concepts, and ideas from that book, because if memory serves, that's where a lot of it was done. Yep, absolutely. Um, next week, tune in, because we're also going to thank all of our new patrons. So, you know, wait to hear your name or, you know, jump on the list and get a thank you. Word. I'll thank you now and again. Until then, I am Nathan. And I am Bobulus Romulus the Conqueror. And we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> <laughs>